Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. You guys know Sierra got married last year. It's a lot of work. Oh boy, was it. It's a lot to do. And one thing that really helped her figure out what to do first, where to access certain resources, how to get people to know where they were supposed to go for a wedding, Zola. With Zola, you can discover venues and find vendors easily. You can message and book vendors right on their website. And truly, when I say that that was the first part that we had to do and also one of the most intimidating and hardest, it's so nice to just have them all listed right there and be able to talk to them right there and then. They also have free planning tools, which is really helpful because you don't know what you don't know. And if when you go to Zola... You have a guest list manager, wedding website templates, a budgeting tool because dang, can a wedding get out of hand real quick? Mm-hmm. It could all eliminate so much stress and you'll save so much time all because it's like a one-stop shop. That's so true. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or on your couch. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A dot com. Hey guys, I'm Jerry. I'm Sierra. We're ladies and we tangent. <sighs> guys, I can't freaking breathe. <laughs> Are we doing it? Right yeah. Now? Okay, sure. What's up? What's up, everybody? <laughs> we uh, we're trying to record the intro so that we don't have to do it every time, and Shane can just like put it in with our music. So if the if the transition from <laughs> from that first part to us just talking, you were like, that was abrupt and strange. We're so sorry. And that's also, also our nicknames. Yep. So <laughs> I'm abrupt. <laughs> I'm strange. <laughs> okay. Do you want to be abrupt? I'll be strange. No, I am strange. <laughs> so that's fine. Oh, it just took me a minute to understand. I was like, wow. Hey, have you ever heard someone say, give me some strange? <laughs> what does that mean? You don't know what that means? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me tell you. Because okay. I know a lot about strange. Okay. So strange is like it's not the topic, by the way. <laughs> Let's talk about slang, everybody. Um, that no, would be it. a cool topic. That would. Oh my god. Okay. Write it down. Uh, <laughs> Copyright. It's gonna be lit. <laughs> um, my ex used to say it all the time, like that he was joking, but then he wasn't joking because he did get strange. But basically, it's like is that where he was with? Um... <laughs> Oh, don't say your name. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say you could. I wasn't gonna say a name. I was. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> wow. Well, um, I think it just means like strange, as in like it's for the first time kind of intercourse action. Is it? Yeah. So it's like if you got a if you have a wife or a husband or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you're with them all the time. That's your normie. <laughs> I'm making this up. I'm making it up. Okay, (laughs) but that's what I think it means. And then so that's your strange. It's very. I've never. It's you never done it. It's your want to do it. Never done it. (laughs) So if you say getting some strange or I got some strange, yeah, it's like I got some. Is that like a one night stand? Mm Hmm. I almost said the p word, and I was. Please don't. I won't ever. Yucky. (laughs) Um. But now that makes me feel weird when people say that my kid acts strange around people. Have you never? They're like, "Oh, he's strange," and they don't mean strange as in like he's weird. They I've mean never heard. That. People have been saying it to me all the time. So now that we're like, "Oh, he's strange," I yeah, would be because so we haven't. I know it's such a weird transition from what you explain strange to me as, and how <laughs> I've encountered it with my child and my child who is strange by normal definition. <laughs> But I, because we haven't seen anyone because of quarantine, yeah, we're now starting to go into like small groups of family. Do they mean like estranged? 
No, I think they mean like stranger. Oh, he's a stranger. <laughs> no, they're saying like he's acting. Oh, he's strange, meaning he is encountering a stranger and so he's being shy. I've never heard that. You know what? Shy is a smaller word. <laughs> just say that. You're not making this would it be easier. A real, you know what? I think we just found out that we actually could talk for an hour about words. We could. Slang that people don't get. I can't wait. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. But that's not what the topic is this no. week. No. Guess what? If you thought we were done talking about, about the Black Lives Matter movement. We are not. We're not done. Um, but we are going to change it up a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, we try and do a tangents in true crime. Yep. Guess what? Lots of crime. <laughs> the, when you start getting into the history. Especially um, that we don't talk about because it's not like, you know, a pretty blonde cheerleader that got abducted or whatever. Yeah. So, and that's a lot of times what our news likes to cover. Yeah. And then the others get swept under the rug. Well, also, I think that um oh my gosh guys my pregnancy brain <laughs> is so bad hold on before we get into this can you tell them the story that you told me that i forgot yeah oh yeah that's what i was just gonna say go literally today was my 30 week appointment and <laughs> i go i get my weight checked guess what only gained a pound in two weeks <laughs> <laughs> normally i'm gaining like six every time anyway um after they get my weight and they check me in, they go, go get your urine sample. <laughs> so I go to the bathroom <laughs> and I realize, like, as soon as I finish peeing, I never got a cup. <laughs> so I just peed into the water and was like, what do I do? Do I, do I just stick it in the water? Like I dropped a fish in there or something? <laughs> I, so I, I didn't do that, if you're wondering. I just, I stayed in there and I literally... <laughs> I bounced above the toilet. Wow, I talk about my restroom habits so much. <laughs> and like, I was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. You literally can pee on command at this point. <laughs> Just go ahead. And it wouldn't work. So I walked out. I'm like, can I try later? Because I didn't want to tell her that I forgot that I was intended to oh, pee in a cup in there. Wait a minute. So you just pretended like you couldn't pee. Yeah. That's so smart. But did they hear the toilet flush? <laughs> No, I was around the corner. Okay, good. Because sometimes, you know, they like escort you to the bathroom and then they go to like... They escort you? To the bathroom? I've never been escorted. Really? Yeah. I get escorted all the time. Maybe they think I'm like, oh my God, do they think I'm like a drug addict? I don't know. They're like, we have to watch her give the sample. <laughs> Maybe. I'm like, don't worry, I have it hidden between my... Yeah, I've never even, even when I had to get drug tested, I was never escorted. I tried to say that like I knew what people do and I don't do drugs. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going to hide it in between my, where do people hide it? <laughs> Your urine? Yeah, I don't know. What I don't know. Somewhere warm, probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. I don't have big enough boobs, though, to tuck it under one of them guys. I remember what I was going to say. Please. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of chatter. Yeah. That's what, I'll, that's what I'm going to call it. About um, history. And now that monuments are coming down mm -hmm. and the Confederate flag is being banned, which Ooh, girl, preach it. we are so here say. for it. Uh -huh. um, there is talk that that's erasing history. <laughs> um, I would venture to say that a lot of history has already been erased yep. or at least buried. Yes. And the reason we wanted to talk about this specific moment is because yeah we do think it's important to mm -hmm. acknowledge history and this is a piece of history that we've never heard about i have never heard about this until i was listening to my favorite murder podcast and she did it and i was like wow i've never heard about that almost to the point where i was like she's got to be making this up because yeah. it's so big and then when i looked into it i was like um why don't we all learn about this right or especially where it happens which we'll find out is oklahoma and we'll talk more about that at the very end because I have... Do you want to say what it is? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we are going to be discussing... I have different names for it, but it's the Tulsa Race Massacre. It's also known as the Greenwood Massacre or the Black Wall Street Massacre. Here's a little fun fact for you. Yeah. They started out calling it the Tulsa Race Riot. I heard that. Yes. I had heard they were calling it a riot and everyone was like, it wasn't a riot. You massacred people here. And do you know why they stopped the name of the riot? Because there was a study done. I think a lawyer wrote a book about it too, but or at least an article. But there was a study done that when you say the word riot, people assume 
it's started by because black people. Words have connotation. That, that is it exactly. And people do not understand that, but words matter. What you say matters. And whether or not your intention was that, sometimes I didn't even think about it, but it obviously when they did it statistically, almost everybody like put it with statistically by black people somebody said the word thug to me yeah and i know exactly what i pictured in my head yep it was a black man yep and that's that is something um and they called me on it they're like i didn't say it was a black man i go you don't have to say it was a black man whatever i have absorbed in the media yes. whatever i have absorbed over my lifetime has painted that picture in I my head like it's not our fault and i fully believe that but it's something i need to acknowledge and work on because words matter Right. And that was a big thing. I will, I'm going to sidetrack this a little bit. <laughs> we tangent. <laughs> Sorry. But um, I never realized this when people would say the word prostitute. And I was like, why are they saying sex worker now? Stop it. It's just a word. It's not yeah. that big of a deal. Until you realize that when people would say, this was when I would get really into like serial killers and all yeah. that, when they were like, so and so killed prostitute, killed a prostitute, killed a prostitute, killed a prostitute. In the media, when they would say that, nobody dug into what her name was. Nobody talked about that she had a family. Nobody talked about that she was a human being. It dehumanized. It was a way to dehumanize her and be like, well, we don't care that she's dead because look at what she does for money. Right. Which is disgusting because it doesn't matter. Right. You're still a human being. Right. So words matter. <laughs> and that's 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 the sub-lesson for this is words yes. matter. Um, we... We're not done talking about this, um, and we're not going to be done talking about this. Um, I saw something today Shane showed me. It was like, last week, Black Lives Matter. This week, Black Lives Matter. Forecast for next week is (laughs) Black Lives Matter. Yep. And um, you said something to me yesterday about educating ourselves. Yeah. And you read it in like a... Yeah, I'm actually in a group, which I joined it at first. This is whatever but i joined it on facebook it would literally said white women discussing racism and i was like i am joining this because i am gonna troll these people <laughs> so hard but there i are- can't wait to school everyone <laughs> yeah but there are actually a lot of black women in there it is mostly women i think it's all women but yeah. i thought it was just i could white not women. imagine a man reading that and being like <laughs> let me in <laughs> right so i was like oh my god i bet they're just a bunch of ignorant people and actually the discussions are so progressive and so awesome and there are a lot of people that are still learning but it's it it's coming from a place of um not anger of knowing that we're all kind of at the starting line with this which is very sad but a lot of like black people are not at the starting line of right. this. this has been happening and they've been aware of it for a long time but um it's not our fault that we aren't so anyway somebody made a post about that do you want to say what it is or you want no me to? you do you're the one who told me all right so basically what she was saying was like yes educating ourselves is important and yes listening to people but basically she's like the you can't just do that so she was saying like learn and listen has become the new thoughts and prayers yeah so basically she's like it's your way of saying, I did my due diligence of acknowledging this happened without actually having to physically do anything. Now let's move on and get back to my life as right. being normal because I'm sick of this or right. I'm annoyed by it or it's too much for me. It's right. too heavy. I can't, ha- whatever. And it is. It is absolutely. But it's a privilege of ours to be able to take it to off. To shut it out. <laughs> yeah. And Sierra and I are choosing not to do that. Part of us taking listening and learning a step further is using continuously using our platform to share more information that we acquire with our audience. Yeah. And also whenever we can arguing with our fathers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, okay. And so the, the whole thing started because it was basically like, Hey, here's a list of books you can read that w- it was posted by a white woman and the comment about learn and listen was also from a white woman, but she was like, Hey guys, this isn't just like a black lives matter book club meeting. You know what I mean? Read, educate yourself. Absolutely. Listen to what they're saying, but then you have to have the hard conversations, which Jerry says we totally did with our entire family. (laughs) So, okay. We've told you guys that Sierra and I are cousins. Um, our dads are brothers. Mm -hmm. So yesterday we did spend father's day together. Mm -hmm. So all of my dad's brothers were at my parents' house and it, and I don't want to say that we argued with them. No. The conversation was intense, but but it came from... We were trying... Your dad said this. He said we were arguing the same point from a different angle. Yes. And, and we s- were. Yeah. So it was just a, a language 
differentiation. And I think we both thought the other person was saying something that they weren't. And that's the thing is if you don't have those conversations, if you avoid them, if you actively avoid them because you're picking your battles or because you are scared of rocking the boat, then you never get to the part where we all looked at each other and we're like, wow, I learned something that was beautiful. That was, yeah. At the very end of it, it was awesome. We had, and I think that's an important thing too, because I think our whole lives, especially, I can't speak for everybody, but you know, we were like the kids to them. Yeah. They're the adults. And now, I mean, me and you are almost 30. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I think they just have turned to, 29 yeah. the other day. Yep. And I will this weekend. <laughs> but I think they, it was a moment for them to acknowledge that we're not children anymore. We do know what we're talking about. Right. And like, we wouldn't speak on it if we weren't educating ourselves on it. So it was a beautiful moment of them being like, wow. I didn't realize I could learn something from you guys. And same with us. We met in the middle so that it helped me realize that, like, I understand it's a generational thing mm-hmm. and I need to watch my wording a little bit so it doesn't come off as attacking. And right. it comes from, you know, right. more of an understanding place. And it helps, too, for me at least to have that conversation and hear questions that I hadn't thought about that stuff that made sense in my mind that maybe wasn't making sense in someone else's head Mm -hmm. and then I feel like now I have a better way of explaining things yeah um I wanted to bring this up too before I swear we're going to start talking about this (laughs) in a second but one of the things that I realized is from the talking not just from yesterday, this because yesterday I feel like there was a lot less of this than um, in other conversations, especially on social media. <laughs> but people only want to focus on the act. Mm-hmm. They want to focus on the riot. They yep. want to focus on the looting. They want to focus on the criminal history. They want to yes. focus on, um, even on the side of the police, they want to focus on the aggression right i have a background in special education i had to take a class called applied behavior analysis and in that class what i learned is that it's cyclical it's a cycle yeah behavior is a cycle and when we focus on the behavior and the consequence that's where we're at right now we're focusing on the the action And then how people are responding to it. And so far it was, if you do this, this is what happens. If you do this, this is what happens. And no one wants to talk about what the catalyst was. Right. So, again, part of our reasoning for sharing this is trying to get to the catalyst. So, in ABA, it's called the antecedent. It's the action. It's the, um, what's it called? It's the change in environment that signals a certain behavior. So, it's it's the trigger, essentially. If you only focus on the behavior, if you only focus on the outward thing that you're seeing, the reaction, Mm -hmm. you are never going to stop it from happening. You have to get to someone before it. Talking about history like this is us understanding the before. That is a great, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And and even with police, understanding that if they are in areas where they're Mm undertrained or if they were raised in an area with explicit bias, then that is a seed that's planted that's a trigger That's going to cause a poor behavior. Yeah. And like we're going to talk about with this, um, it was, again, a generational thing. But then the people that it happened to were not allowed to talk about it. It was basically a taboo subject. They didn't teach it. It was swept under the rug. Nobody spoke about it. And then those people carried it with them to their children. I'm sure they talked about it, but not a lot. But, you know, then their children grow up and something... It was very traumatic. We will talk about it, I swear. (laughs) You hear the word massacre, you can kind of understand. Because words matter. Yes. And you can understand what is about to happen, what you're about to hear. Um, And so think about that. We we talk like it wasn't that long ago. It was 100 years ago. Potentially, this next year. There are people who are older than that. Yeah. This next year will be 100 years. There are absolutely people still alive that were alive during this time. They might have been they were born. Children. Yeah. <laughs> babies. Like, yeah. But then there were people whose parents were alive during this. Like, it's not like a, oh, this happened in 1770, whatever. It's like, this is one generation ago. Yeah. Possibly two, but you know what I'm saying. Right. Right. Anyways, so. So, this week's Tangents and True Crime is the Tulsa Race Massacre. 
let's uh we'll talk a little bit of the background history of Tulsa before we get into it. The so, antecedent, if you will. Yes, exactly. So when the Civil War ended in 1865, the slaves in Oklahoma were emancipated, and although some went north to find refuge after being freed, many stayed in the area and resettled into the area as freed people. Obviously, right there you can tell that tensions are going to be high because these are people who were previously working for somebody for for free. You know, they didn't have to pay them. And now all of a sudden they're trying to open businesses, you know. And you can imagine that slaves were not viewed as people, which is why they were treated as slaves. So black people, just because they got their freedom, doesn't mean that people all of a sudden like this veil lifted and they no longer had their like they were no longer viewed as slaves. It's kind of like if you to not in present day, but back then you can imagine when you get that little piece of paper saying a sex offender moved into your your area yeah you freak out yeah you want to avoid that area you're angry you're like how did this person even get in this neighborhood this is a good neighborhood that's the thought process that they were yeah absolutely because again these people it's not like because um abraham lincoln signed a piece of paper and a war was won that all of a sudden people were like i'm not racist anymore right now these people are humans it just wasn't like that So, um, in the early 1900s, though, Tulsa experiences this huge boom because there's a discovery of a massive oil supply in Red Fork, and that was uh, an area just across the Arkansas River from Tulsa. And then in 1905, workers strike another oil well that they call Glenpool, and Tulsa becomes one of the most oil-rich areas in America. So more and more people start to come to the area for work, so much so that the population grows from 1,400 people in the year 1900, and 20 years later, it was roughly 98,870 people. Holy crap. Right. And at this point in time, do you know if that law was still in place where if you were jobless, it was a crime? Oh, I have no idea. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Please look it up for me. Yeah, I'll look it up. You can keep Oklahoma going. hadn't even become a state. It says Oklahoma becomes a state in 1907. And when I read that, I was like, wow, I need to look into history more <laughs> because I thought <laughs> for sure. I don't know when I thought it became a state, but I'm like, surely it's a state already. Um, but basically, this time period is an amazing time of growth, especially for the black community in Tulsa. They are thriving. What'd you find? I thought I found the correct year, but. I don't think. I'll keep going. Yeah. Um, And this thriving is huge because we're talking about a post-Civil War Jim Crow South where we have bigotry and segregation as a constant oppressive reality for these people. So um, actually the reputation of this thriving black community ends up drawing the attention of leading black intellectual leader and educator Booker T. Washington. Do you remember him? Yes. I remember hearing that name. I don't remember a lot about him. I wish, again, that I had paid attention more. But also, I know so much about Christopher Columbus, and I feel like they just beat the wrong stuff into our heads. Yep. Maybe. I mean, whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, so Booker T. Washington comes. He takes a trip out to Washington to see what's going on. And a year later, with his guidance, they officially organized the 4,000-acre, entirely black-owned neighborhood known as the Greenwood Dis- District. What did you find something? No, quit asking me. Oh, you're, well, you're looking at me like you're ready. You're to talking. Talk. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. So in this Greenwood district, we have two newspapers, two movie theaters, grocery stores, churches, nightclubs, medical centers, dentist offices, and all of these are entirely black owned. In 1920 or whatever it was, yeah. 19. This was in like 1913. No, I'm sorry. This was in 1907. Wow. For the next 13 years, the Greenwood District flourishes, so much so that its success earns its nickname, Black Wall Street, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Because it's in the South. This is unheard of for the right. time. Um, and then after World War I ends in 1918, American servicemen returning from the war flock to Tulsa because there's a lot of work and a lot of money there because of the oil. Right. However... Many of these white veterans are not happy that they have to come back to compete for these jobs with educated black citizens. Right. 
So this is also the same time that black American veterans are coming back to America and they just fought a war for a country that they can't even come and use certain bathrooms in right. or vote right. or ride buses or go to good schools. Right. So right now tensions are building, obviously. Um, if you noticed, I quit looking because I yeah. think I found it, but I was trying to, I didn't want to get so distracted that from listening lost. to you <laughs> yeah. that I was like, you know what? This can be another time. But I do know that after they the Emancipation Proclamation, um, just like what's happening now, they find the government finds new elevated ways yeah, to thirteenth, what I watched. Yeah, that's restrict a great um, documentary. The availability of certain things. Well, basically when they wrote the thirteenth amendment, they right. said everybody is free unless you're a prisoner. And it was yeah, a Oh, loop. that's what I was talking about. Yes. Yeah. So whenever uh, if it became illegal not to have a job, yes. So it became illegal, like um, I think it was black codes. Yeah, it it was called the black codes, and it was all of these laws. That's what I was looking. I think it was like in the eight. It was right after the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. It was like okay, if we can't keep our slaves, we're gonna find a way to. Because and the so they passed those laws. The economy in the South, that you just you have all these people working for you for free to make right. money, and the econ- economy started plummeting because. Right. Now these people are free people and you have to go find people and pay them to work for you. And it was just, so this was a way to like, Hey, look, we get to keep our slaves, but they had things like jaywalking and then they were put on chain gangs and yeah, that you could essentially like rent out, lease out a prisoner. And so these people would go back to these plantations to work, except now because they weren't paid for, they were leased. They could just lease another one if anything happened to that slave. So they didn't want to take care of them. They didn't give a shit what happened to that, you know, quote unquote criminal. Um, Sorry, that's a sidetrack. But I wanted to (laughs) I knew I mentioned it and then we got away from it. Well, not away from it, but we got back to the topic. And I was like, now if we never (laughs) (laughs) clarify, wait, what was she talking about? Yeah. Um, But I wondered if that's why people were flooding to Tulsa because they're like we need jobs Mm -hmm. but I think the timing is a little off but I think there was still that fear of oh well yeah and then yeah like it helped that um the Greenwood district was not only like a flourishing but it was all black because segregation obviously Jim Crow laws and stuff like that so it was like why wouldn't you want to go to a place that is where you can go right. but also people are making money people are like it's thriving at that right. point so it started booming and it started booming quickly oh however unfortunately around um 1915 the feature film the birth of a nation is released have you heard about that film no but i know of it's horrifying the name yeah um it i think it was a f- don't quote me. I'm talking about shit that I don't know. <laughs> so don't. But I think it was like one of the first silent films or dr- dramatic silent films. But basically, it portrayed the KKK as the saviors. It portrayed all black men basically as robbers, as rapists, as murderers. And the KKKs were the heroes in the film. And it right. is. it was a disgusting movie, which, of course, then causes a resurgence of the KKK. Right. Which is And that's just another point that if you are someone who is consuming not just a lot of media, a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies that are portraying, and I'm not saying black people in the KKK, but are portraying certain groups of people in a way. In a certain way, yeah. Your mind has nothing else to compare it to. So I, I personally think because in movies that I've watched, black people have been criminals. Yeah. When I hear the word thug... That's what you think I, of. That's what I think. You think of gangbangers or right. drug dealers. That's kind of or, what Nick was saying yeah. when we had our episode with him is he was saying, if that's all you know, if that's all you see on TV, if that's all that's, you've ever encountered, with, yeah. then what else do you know? Exactly. Um, I would, Hold on. I had something else I was going to say and now I forgot Sorry. it. Oh, no. What I was going to say was, um, not to mention when I looked into this, there was around 3,200 members of the KKK just in Tulsa. Justin Tulsa. That makes me want to throw up. I know. I know. Hey, pause this and go sign that petition to make the KKK. A terror organization? Seriously. (laughs) Why is it not already? That blows my freaking mind. I'm going to put it in our description. (laughs) Please. Please. 
Um, okay, and then also, so that was in 1950. Then in 1920, so this is a year earlier than when this starts, a white 18-year-old boy named Roy Belton is accused of murdering a local Tulsa taxi driver. And before his guilt is even confirmed, a group of armed men storm the jail, take Belton, and lynch him on the streets. A so white this is in man. 1920? This is in 1920. So they basically thought they were doing like a vigilante thing. And then a lot of people were saying, yes, it was awesome. They did this. But then, you know, they took the law into their own hands. And who knows if this man was guilty of it or not. But you can assume then that every black person in the area was thinking. Well, if you think that that sounds like a crazy thing. I, I would just like to direct your attention to Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because those two people who shot him claimed that they were taking things in their own hands. It was a lynching. Because they saw someone who they thought was committing a crime. Or at least that's what they said. Yeah. He looked like a suspect of a suspected crime. Right. So I'm just saying that 1920 might sound like a long time ago. But we're still doing it. Th- this just happened. Yeah. So if it seems like, a, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> it is. It, it, it is. Um, okay. So now that we have a little background on that, let's go to Monday, May 30th. It's Memorial Day um, in 1921. So we're in Tulsa. There's a 19 year old boy named Dick Rowland. He is a black boy and he's working as a shoe shiner at Main Street Shine Parlor. And he has to use the restroom. So he's got to walk to the nearby Drexel building on 319 South Main Street because the only restroom he's allowed to use in the area is on the top floor of that building. It is the only restroom in the area that is allowed for black, black friendly. People. Yeah. Yeah. They had, I mean, this is like I said, we said Jim because Crow. Because God for pee, we poop in the same <laughs> toilet. <laughs> I know. So, um, there is a woman that works there, Sarah Page. She's 17-year-old. She's a white white um, elevator operator. She's on duty pretty much every day. She's the only person that operates that elevator. And obviously, since that's the only bathroom that he is able to use, they've had interactions before. So he goes into the building. Um, he gets into the elevator. Seconds later, um, a nearby clerk at a clothing store in the building rushes towards the elevator when he hears the sound of a woman screaming. He sees a black man rushing from the building and says he found Sarah Page, this is in quotes, in a distraught state. So he called the police. When the police get there, she is calm and mm-hmm. fine. She says she doesn't want to press charges. And there's not um, an actual like recorded what happened. But what people say happened is one of two things. He either tripped and fell upon entering the elevator and grabbed her arm to steady himself or he stepped on her foot as he was walking in and grabbed her to steady her from falling either way he grabbed her arm she yelled out probably because she was startled by whatever happened and because being touched by a black man at that point in time was like exactly exactly and so when that man came and saw a black man running away he immediately thought that she had been assaulted. Do you feel though. so gross saying like <gasps> I I had chills when I was like because a black man can't touch a white woman like that made me feel so uncomfortable. And when you think about the fact that there are people in nursing homes in the United States that again were alive when this shit or was not happening. in nursing homes, yeah, like that is insane to me. I know a woman who is ninety nine years old. Right. This isn't new. Right. This isn't new. So. Um, Roland, obviously afraid for his life now because he knows what could potentially happen to him, he flees to his mother's house in Greenwood to hide out. So on the next morning after the incident, the Tulsa Tribune, which is one of two white-owned papers published in Tulsa, breaks the story in the afternoon edition with the headline. Are you ready for this? Um, I don't think I am. Quote, Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in an Elevator. I'm getting choked up and I'm sorry I I probably am. I just had chills on my body just because that's one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. Yep. According to witnesses, the article went on to basically call for the mob-style lynching of Dick Rowland for touching a white girl. They said attacking her. Yeah. But obviously. So the police now have to go find him because I think they wanted to question him. They wanted to take him in for questioning. But a lot of people say that the police were doing their job. They didn't want another situation like what happened to Roy Belton to happen. Right. So they were trying to protect him from getting 
from um, the KKK taking th- the vigilantes essentially taking things into their own hands. Yeah. So that afternoon, police apprehend Roland and they take him to the county courthouse. At about 4 p.m. that day, white residents begin congregating at and near the Tulsa County Courthouse. By 7.30 p.m., there are several hundred white residents assembled outside the courthouse um, and they appeared to have the makings of a lynch mob. A few blocks away on Greenwood Avenue, members of the black community gathered to discuss the situation because they're like, we have to save this person. Right. They can tell what's going to happen, or at least what looks like it's going to happen. So you have two different style of people right now. You have the black veterans, who, the young black veterans who just came back from World War One. They are ready to grab some guns, to arm themselves, to go protect this person and help the police. And then you have the black business owners who are like, no, 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 we don't want to start any violence. They want to keep their businesses safe, but also, you know, they want to go help too. Right. So they all get together. Um, this is giving me like I can associate present day things with these pictures. I know it's what was so hard for me researching it because I was like, "You want to talk about it like it's history, but I mean it's not to this level." But but there were people with pitchforks, yeah, and um, uh, tiki torches essentially, mm-hmm. who were protesting the Black Lives Matter movement. How many years ago was that? When they killed a woman, right? That was when yeah. Heather, I forget her last name now, but they ran was, her over with a mm-hmm. car. They ran through a bunch of people. She just yeah. ended up dying. Oh, so yeah. horrible. Okay, so lost my place. Okay, so determined to prevent the crowd from lynching, many of the young um Veterans, oh yeah, I said that part. So they grab their ammunition, they head there at about 9.30 p.m. There's approximately 50 to 60 black men armed with rifles, most of them, um, and shotguns. And they arrive at the jail to support the sheriff and police deputies in defending him from the mob. So now... So they're on the side of the police. They are They are trying <laughs> to help the police, yeah. Right. Um, because they know these people are trying to take matters into their own hands. Right. But now... Seeing these black men showing up, the more than 1,000 people that had gathered, Holy white citizens shit. that at that point had gathered, decided to go home and get their guns. So, at this point, Major James Bell of the 180th Infantry Regiment called the commanders of the three National Guard units in Tulsa to inform them of the mounting situation and what he believed was the possibility of break-ins. What? And I can only assume from that it's because black people had weapons, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to assume, but that's what it sounds like. So they're there to support the police and say, hey, we want you to be able to do your job here. Yeah. And so we're making sure that these other people don't come in and try to do, take justice into their own hands. Right. And cause a bigger issue than needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And now you use your platform and your voice to plant in people's heads that we're here to rob them. Oh, get so much worse (laughs) i was gonna be like wow look at this deputy in a time that like racism is just like i probably not its peak it's like a mountaintop so there's lots of peaks it's unfortunate there's so many peaks but nope no and it is said even because um at first mobs of the white men before they went home went to the national guard buildings and they were trying to arm themselves and they were turned away Later on, um, there are multiple eyewitness accounts that, by the way, were never talked about. We just now have a handwritten account that somebody found in 2015. It's really cool. It's online. You can see it in his handwriting. It gave me goosebumps. I'll read you a little excerpt of it when we get to that part. But um, people are saying that the National Guard was handing out ammunition to the white, basically policing them, being like, here you go. Go go grab as many like they essentially go were grab s- as many um, criminals recruiting them to be yes. a part of great yeah. love that yeah so at the courthouse now the crowd has swollen to nearly two thousand people many of whom are now armed um, several people tried to calm the mounting tension because there were like pastors came and a lot of the black business owners were not trying to you know they were trying to keep the peace but tension was growing um, regardless. And there are varying reports about what happens next. But what we do know is that a white man demands a black man give up his gun to him. He refuses. There is some kind of a 
back and forth, whether they're actually fighting over the gun, like physically or just, and then a shot is fired. So we don't know if the gunshot um, is from that gun, if it's from a warning shot from a police person, if a gun went off accidentally. But when the gunshot is triggered, um, an almost immediate response comes from the white members of the crowd who begin firing on the black citizens. This first battle was said to last only a few seconds, but it left 12 men laying, dying, or dead in the streets. So, the black contingent begins to retreat back to Greenwood, um, and the armed white mob pursues them. Now they're going after them. Many stopping to loot local stores for additional weapons and ammunition on the way. Um, Along the way, many... The white people were? Yes. Got it. Yep. I just wanted to clarify. Yep. Um, along the way, many innocent bystanders, including a group who were just leaving in the movie theater. This is in Greenwood, so it is the all-black community. So right. these are mostly black. Innocent bystanders are mostly black citizens. So along the way, many innocent bystanders, including a group who were leaving the movie theater after a show, were caught off guard by the mob and fired upon. These are children, all like families. Yeah, and they probably aren't carrying anything. They have no idea what's happening. They come out right. of a movie theater and people are riding down the street and shooting at them. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, when I go to the movie, I don't pack my gun. <laughs> no. But, I mean, there are people who are like, I'm not going to the movies without my gun. <laughs> or anywhere. Yeah. At around 11 p.m., members of the National Guard begin to assemble at the armory to organize a plan to try to subdue the rioters. And you would think that's where it ends. But No. They deployed several groups at the courthouse, the police station, and other public facilities, which were all in the white district adjacent to Greenwood, and the National Guard begins rounding up and arresting any black person they encounter on the street. And this is not... Whatever. We'll keep going. White rioters um, are riding in cars into Greenwood and they're indiscriminately firing into homes and businesses and they're throwing lighted oil rags into several businesses which begins igniting them on fire. At 1 a.m. the mob begins setting more deliberate fires to businesses and when the fire department shows up to put out the fires they are turned away at gunpoint by the the white mob. What? Mm-hmm. They threaten to shoot the firefighters if they and there was a quote but it had a lot of words that I'm not going to say in it. But basically the quote was, if you help these people out, you will get gunned down in the street too. Yeah. So the, the fire department For showing away. support of these yep. people. Yep. So by 4 a.m., an estimated two dozen black-owned businesses are set on fire. This is just at 4 a.m. So at this point, who are you defending? Right. What are you doing? Right. So um, the man, his name was, let me find it. Okay, it says, in 2015, a previously unknown written eyewitness account of the events are discovered, and now the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History Culture has it. It's a 10-page typewritten manuscript, and the author is Buck Colbert Franklin. So here's some, here's a quote of it. It says, lurid flames roared and belched and licked their forked tongues into the air. Smoke ascended the sky in thick black volumes and amid it all, the plains, now a dozen or more in number, the plains, still hummed and darted here and there with the agility of natural birds in the air. Plains circling in midair, they grew in number and hummed, dipped and darted low. I could hear something like hail falling on top of my office building. Down East Archer, I saw the old Midway Hotel on fire, burning from its top, and then another and another building began to burn from their top. The sidewalks were literally covered with burning turpentine balls. I knew all, I knew all too well why every burning building first caught fire from the top. I paused and waited for an opportune time to escape. Where, oh, where is our splendid fire department with its half dozen stations? I asked myself, is the city in conspiracy with this mob? So the planes that were flying overhead were throwing balls of turpentine fire out the window to begin setting buildings on fire from the top up. And where did these planes come from? If you're going to tell me that those citizens had planes ready? Nope. Right. So, So again, the city was... Right, co-conspirating with what right. was going on, and it, like in my mind, that to me seems like a third world country. That uh, seems yeah. like, like what a war. Yeah, that seems like a war, like what's happening or what we saw happen in the Middle East, and 
to know that that happened to people here. To our citizens? Yeah. It's horrifying. Um, He says he reported seeing multiple machine guns firing at night and hearing thousands and thousands of guns being fired simultaneously from all directions. He states that he was arrested by a thousand boys, it seemed, firing their guns every step they took. I have to get back to my other notes now. Hold on just a second. Okay, so finally at 11.49 a.m. on June 1st, General Charles... Barrett of Oklahoma National Guard arrives with 109 troops from Oklahoma City and he declares martial law. At this point, there are over 6,000 black men who have been arrested and are being detained at one of three local facilities. This, I, it's hard for, it's so hard for yeah. me. I'm sorry that I keep like getting choked up and stumbling, but I just can't imagine that. Over 190 businesses in the Greenwood District are destroyed by these fires. 190. Right. 1,256 houses were burned to the ground, and another 215 were looted and destroyed. The Red Cross estimates that over 10,000 people, mostly black, were left homeless from the destruction. And it is estimated... And jobless now. Yes. And it is estimated that anywhere from between 55 to 300 people were killed. The reason the number is skewed is because a lot of families started fleeing and then never came back. Some did. but And the other reason is they found a lot of bodies. But there are theories and now things being proven because grave sites are being dug up that there is a mass grave that bodies were being thrown into and then yeah. it was covered before people could investigate what was happening. Right. So there could be up to, there could be hundreds of bodies in that yeah. mass grave. So, um, over 700 people were hospitalized and eight miscarriages were attributed to the tragedy that day. 19 more people died in the hospital between June 1st and December 30th. Sorry. Um, Governor James B. Robinson had gone to Tulsa during the riot to ensure that order was restored. Before returning to the Capitol, he ordered an inquiry of events, especially of the city and sheriff's office. So he's trying to figure out what's going on, like he should. Right. Um, He called for a grand jury to be impaneled and Judge Val Jean. (laughs) I know that's probably not right, but... Sounds like a yeast infection medicine. And And the last name, Bittison said that its investigation would begin on June 8th. So the jury was picked by June 9th. And of course, they're all white. It's an all white jury. Right. And if you're going to sit there and listen to this and tell me that they were going to be unbiased. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, are you? Don't. 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 <laughs> okay. Don't. Just don't. Um, they heard witnesses. Now they had black and white witnesses. And these witnesses were heard over 12 days. In the end, the all-white jury attributed to r- the riot to being started by black mobs while noting that law enforcement officials had, had also failed in preventing the riot. Both groups of people that were just trying to do the right thing. Right. A total of 27 cases were brought before the cur- court and the jury indicted more than 85 individuals, but in the end, no one was convicted of charges for the deaths, injuries, or property damage. Which there was over almost two million, two million in 1921 right. in property damage. <sighs> On June 3rd, a large group of over a thousand businessmen and civic leaders met, resolving to form a committee to raise funds and aid in the rebuilding of Greenwood. Despite this promise of funding, though, many black men and women and families spent the winter of 1921 to 1922 in tents as they worked to rebuild their their neighborhood. Right. There were no convic- convictions for any of the charges related to violence. There were decades of silence about the terror, violence, and losses of this event, and the riot was largely omitted from local, state, and na- national histories right. books. Until, which this is the reason why I wanted to do this. So... Have you ever watched Watchmen on HBO? It's an HBO series. No, I've heard of the show, but no. Okay, I've never seen it either. Apparently, this is in there. Like, it's a big th- part of it. Got it. So, 
It says, perhaps pushed into action by the renewed interest in that time period, courtesy of HBO's Watchmen, school districts in the state are finally ready to address what Senator Kevin Matthews calls Tulsa's dirty little secret. This happened in February of this year. What? They decided this. CNN reports that Oklahoma's education department will provide the framework of a curriculum in April, which is so sad because that's when school was shut down. Right. That's designed to provide extra support and resources when teaching students about the massacre. It will officially be incorporated into lesson plans beginning in the fall of 2020, just in time for its 100-year anniversary in 2021. And that's the story of the Black Wall Street Massacre that nobody talks about. I saw something. It made me think about... um we talk about how history in schools is um, presented like a Disney movie. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty, it's not always pretty. The older you get, the more graphic it gets. Like yeah. when they first introduce stuff and to I you. And I understand people are always like, well, what do they want you to say when you're kids? Okay, I get that. Right. But like. Right. But also, like we've discussed before, it's not too early to start talking about these things with your mm-hmm. kids. And I. I watched a woman, um, she was speaking about how when you love someone, it's harder to convince you that they're wrong or they're bad. Right. She's like, if you called me up and said something horrible about my husband, I would be questioning you because I love him. Right. And so... In my head, if we are explaining these things, obviously in a responsible way, right, to school age kids and adolescents mm-hmm. I feel like we have an opportunity to create a love for people yeah so that when we hear because something we've heard today was well you know it's hard to know what to believe no it's not no it's not no, <laughs> no it's, it's not, not. It, it's not hard to it know what to believe it takes a little bit of extra work right to find the right information right but if you do it there are facts to things right there are correct accounts like this what they just found and and when i say this was kept quiet like this was kept quiet nobody talked about it as if it didn't happen and these people lived knowing it happened and had to talk like it didn't right which is insane but obviously we have handwritten accounts. We have eyewitness accounts. We have all these things. And then you still have people, I'm sure, that are going to be like, well, was it that bad? Right. Because that's what we're doing now. And if you do, if you've ever heard someone question the Holocaust and you're, you've rolled your eyes at them, like, are you freaking serious? That's what people sound like now. <laughs> now. Um, and when she said that, I just kept thinking, if. If we learn to love, and I know uh, I hate when people are like, just love each other, because it it's more than love. It's it more, you. It's policy. It's the government. Like, well, and love I is not going to do everything. Change laws. That's what I posted but, the other day. That was like, advocacy is love. Yes, knowledge is love. Having yes. hard conversations is love. You can go want to go back to the way your life was because your life was peachy keen, and that's right. fine. Put your blinders back on, but just know you made the decision to do so. Otherwise, you have to work so that they can live, like like Lauren said when we had her on, that they can live in a in peace and love yeah. and have the same life that we are living. Right. Not have to fear the everything. Security. Yeah. yeah. And and that's my point was telling correct history. Yeah, exactly. Is love. The problem, I think, because I'm reading a book right now called Lies My Teacher Told Me, and again, no disrespect to teachers. I know you have to teach what you have to teach. I was a teacher. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be honest. We are told what to teach, and we are told that if our kids, we are told what is on the test, and if our kids don't pass that test, our funding goes away. And when the funding goes away, your job goes away. So, So you're teaching these kids to pass this test. Right. Essentially. Right. And I'm Which, sure more try. If you if you associate that with the police, a lot of their funding comes from getting arrests. Getting arrests. Oh, so yeah. why wouldn't I want to get lots of arrests? Because to if I don't police. If I don't over police certain things where I just infer certain crime then is you happening. Don't meet a quota that you're supposed to meet. And then I lose funding. Yeah. And then I lose my job. Yep. Yeah. 
but that it, when I was reading this book, basically what it was saying was we do a thing called heroification to people like Woodrow Wilson, who played the birth of a nation when it came out. Remember that thing that I just told you about earlier, the KKK? He played that. He had a private showing to play it. Woodrow Wilson was a known white supremacist. We know yeah. this. Um, Christopher Columbus was a big fat asshole. <laughs> <laughs> we know this. Yeah. We have their diaries and things like that. Like we yeah, know. the whole discovered America thing. There were people here. If and if, also other people had come here before him. It's, yeah, he wasn't even the first to discover. Look up it. the word discover. <laughs> right. He didn't do it. Right. So why we do that is because it's uncomfortable to learn about. It's uncomfortable and it feels like an attack on yourself, but. The thing that you keep saying when, not you, but, you know, people keep saying. <laughs> no, you specifically, no, you, whoever you guys are saying headphones that. were in, whoever's <laughs> speakers were on right now, you. They keep saying, don't tear this down. We'll forget history. We'll forget history. And the problem is, like you said earlier, we've already forgotten it. We we were never We don't tell the right it. story in the first place. We never learned it. Right. So we don't need statues. Um, let's erase the statues and maybe just start telling the correct stories. Right. And you know what, guys, if that has to be, because I don't expect people who write these history books and the, the people who are telling our teachers what to teach, I don't expect that to change overnight and then to start doing this. It took a hundred years for this to be taught in the place where it happened. Right. That's insane. So it's our jobs. If we have children, you have to, you have to do it. You have to step up and you have to be the person to teach these things. Otherwise it's just going to be a blind blinders on for the rest of, right. You know, you're in your happy little world. And if you don't know any different then nothing bad happened and it's fine. Right. So that was tough, and I'm sorry. I apologize, but I think it's important, and I will probably find more <laughs> because they're not talked about. Yeah, I, there, there is more. Yeah, there's a lot more, and a lot more that we don't discuss. And even recently, there's again, we had a discussion, and one of our aunts that was there when we were having this discussion was like, Well, I've never heard of any of these cases when I was saying names of police right. brutality and things like that. She's like, well, I've never heard of those. And I'm like, that's because we don't. Right. You don't hear about them because they're not told. And right. we have to start telling them. Because if you don't tell them, that is how history repeats itself. Or just gets forgotten or, gets or, or put gets under worse. the rug. Yeah. So. And you can understand hearing this story, how it can create a generational distrust. Yeah. Because it, not only with the police... Because as you heard in the story, mm -hmm. the police, even if they initially had gone in with intent to do things the right way, yeah, which we believe most officers do, right, they didn't follow yeah. through on it. And it and wasn't, look what happened. It wasn't just the police. It was the National right. Guard. It was the right. governor. Right. It, it was, was the government. Yes. So now I, now I don't trust my local thing that's supposed to keep me safe my neighbors now i don't trust my neighborhood mm -hmm. and most specifically my white neighbors yep. because that's the people who started all of this yeah and didn't have any accountability and i don't trust my government because they were supplying a lot of these people and didn't hold them accountable and when they finally did look into it they selected people who they freaking knew we're not going to find anything. And I'm just going to revert you guys back to last week's episode because that's called gaslighting. What they right. did was they rewrote the history and they told these people who had just experienced this horrific, traumatic thing that it was their fault that they started it when they were there and they knew they didn't. If you weren't criminals, if you didn't look like someone who was going to rob us, if you if you didn't have if you would have just handed over your weapons, which you were allowed to have, right? Which they carried. They were veterans, right? They had just fought in the war with these weapons. They were right. absolutely allowed to have them, and they should have absolutely brought them, right? And I know there's going to be somebody, probably not the Listen Stars, because I love you guys, and I don't think you would do that. <laughs> but I'm sure there's somebody out there that if you would tell that story, they'd be like, "Well, they brought guns first, but." They were going to kill this man. Yeah. This boy. He was a boy. You brought guns for a haircut, so relax. Yeah, okay? exactly. And we let you have them, and no one dropped bombs on your businesses, right. so calm down. But that's... I just want to keep reiterating the importance of history, because this was in one place. Mm -hmm. And like we said, it's not just one place. And so... This is not an isolated event, maybe on this s scale, but... 
it's not an isolated event. Right. Well, I Shane was just telling me, and maybe this will have to be another tangent of true crime, is that there was an entire thriving city in New York. Oh yeah. And then it was bulldozed yep. and became Central Park. Yes. Yeah, I just a read black about that thriving too. city. Yeah. So this Tulsa is not the only place that it happened, and this is continuing to happen. And so it's building this the antecedent, all of these things that occurred is building this distrust. Yeah. Is building this misunderstanding. And it is implanting this fear and this uh and not only that, but it's also stimulating the destruction yeah. of an entire group of people mm-hmm. and maintaining uh the disproportionate wealth and yeah because <laughs> these people were and- finally getting ahead and it was taken from them right pretty much immediately so all take all of that and then think about what we're seeing yeah today and think about how white people handed them handled themselves in this situation yeah and look at how things are being handled. Look at the behaviors. Understand where it came from. Yeah. Because if you're still, if you're just focusing on the behavior, and not what's causing it, you're never going to get away from the cycle of behavior consequence, behavior consequence, behavior consequence. You will never stop the behavior. Yeah. One more thing before, because I yeah. know, we're, but it's the same thing. I think and your husband was talking about it, but it's like when people and whatever you parent, however you do, but. If your child keeps coming to you and you every time it's spanking, spanking or, you know, some kind of form of punishment, Physical eventually punishment, that yeah. that doesn't work. Right. It doesn't work because you're not getting to the root of the problem. Right. You're just it's again, what's that, it, you know, the cause and the it's the antecedent and then the behavior and then the consequence. Love you so much. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to say that word wrong, so I'm just not going to say yeah. it. But yeah, that's that's basically what Called you're Called the doing. ABCs. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for telling me. I didn't know that, so I'm glad yeah. that you told me well, about I, that uh, it's important. I mentioned before I was a teacher, I taught special education, mm-hmm. and a lot of people will see people with disabilities and they'll see them hitting themselves. Yeah. They'll see them... Um, being loud they'll see them flapping their arms they'll see them doing these behaviors and it's bothersome right do you ever wonder why they're happening right maybe they're overstimulated maybe they're in a different area that they've never been before maybe they're having trouble communicating and you're not understanding them and that's frustrating to them there's a whole list of things that can be causing them to feel frustration that they can't express in any other way than what you're seeing Mm -hmm. so that was a great way to, again, great way to put that. Because that, even to me, gives me more understanding of it. Yeah. I think sometimes when you when you take yourself out of... Um, Emotions and what you're feeling yeah, in the moment. Yeah, because when you, when you have prejudice and you have bias attached to a specific situation... Yeah. You can't... It's very difficult to see it. And because to remove you, yourself from the yeah, situation. Because you go, but... Yeah, but well, oh, that's what we're seeing so much of. Somebody will will just tell you, "Hey, this is actually why this is happening," and I am giving you f- reasons why this is happening. Well, but right. well, no, just just listen. But if I say, "Hey, Steph gets anxious when she's in large crowds, so when she's in large crowds, she's more likely to be loud." Are you going to keep putting Steph in large crowds? Or are you going to you know make sure you can put her in a situation and set her up for success? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> because if it's bothering you that Steph's loud and large crowds, maybe get to the root of the problem. It's before. also not making Steph feel great. No, exactly. Yeah. She doesn't want that. Right. <sighs> do it for Steph. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just please do it for Steph? <laughs> yeah. Just do it for Steph actually equals Black Lives Matter. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what we're trying to say. Yeah. So if you were like, yeah, I could do it for Steph. Tricked ya! <laughs> and don't, we don't want to hear any wells or butts. <laughs> yeah. Keep your wells and butts <laughs> exactly where they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks guys. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry that had to be a heavy one, but it's important. And hopefully, you know, we can look at it without our rose colored glasses on and see yeah. it for what it was, which is history. And it happened and don't erase history. Yeah. <laughs> actual history in literal history not just marble okay
Yeah. Uh, sign petitions, donate, have hard conversations. Yeah. It's important. Actions matter. Actions matter. I was just having this and conversation. <laughs> well, I was words and actions matter. <laughs> I was talking to somebody and I was like, words without actions is just manipulate manipulation. Yes. You're just, yes. you're telling me what I want to hear and you're not going to do anything about it. Then it doesn't matter. Yep. So put those actions behind those words. These conversations are hard, you guys, but they're worth it. They are it's a lot of fun. It, it's, it is stressful. <laughs> I'm going to take when this is all over, which I don't think it ever will be. But when we get like a pause from it, I'm going to take the longest bath. Oh, just the longest lavender bath. Yeah, it's going to be really rough to take a bath in the grave. But go ahead. <laughs> I know. it's gonna, Well, I hope it doesn't take us long that long to fight this battle. But you that know. was another thing that my dad said. He's like, it's not going to change overnight. And we know that. And I understand that. But like, don't we don't stop. get to stop. Nope. Yeah, it's progress no, is never done. Nope. Remember when I said good enough never is, and I said that that was like a issue for me in my head. Well, make it an issue for you as well. Yeah, good <laughs> enough never is good enough. This is not good enough. It's not good enough, and it won't be good enough until we're told it's good enough yep. and by people who have the right to say it. Okay. <laughs> yes. So, all right, we're done. We could just continue going on. We got we got to stop ourselves. <laughs> really, we're up here on a soapbox. Okay. All right, you guys. We're out. Goodbye. is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.